Alrighty then. <laughs> Doing better? Yeah. Okay, we still left? Yeah. Will you cut all that in the microphone? Oh, yeah, it's all in there. Ooh, Doing delicious. Nice. Maybe bloopers. Yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> bloopers, yeah. <laughs> Welcome back to Creepy Campfire, your source for all things strange, the unexplainable, the infamous, and the mysterious. Here are your hosts, Jordan and Ryan. Hello, welcome to Sickville, USA. Sickville! Yeah. We're both we're both coming off colds, guys. Yeah, sorry if we sound a little gross. We already pushed things back a week anyway, but the show getting, must go on. Getting better. Yeah. Getting better slowly. Anyways, so anyways, Jordan, you're you're leading this episode this week. What are what are we talking about? We're going to talk about Lake Anjakuni. Oh, that's going to be fun. Yeah, and um, a little disappearance that happened there a while ago. So um, I found a lot of information on it, but it's it's all a lot. For, it's it's all pretty much from the same account. Like this happened a while ago in history, and the information that surrounded it and came from came forth from it and you mean all of this is coming from the same person all of it is coming yeah essentially like all it stems it stems, it stems it? from one person the account one person's account okay and i looked around a lot um and there was a lot of different websites that had like the exact same thing mm-hmm. but that's pretty much just what it was like it's everybody's telling the exact same story but you know paraphrasing which is exactly what we're doing um but giving you a little of our own flair. Yeah, we're gonna stop and we're gonna we're gonna shoot the shoot the crap for a yeah. second. For you shoot the crap. <laughs> um, okay, so let's just let's just jump right into it. Uh, a lot of this is gonna be coming from our new favorite website, uh, Mysterious Universe. Are it's, we are we jumping jumping straight into the to the account right now? The account? No. Well, the whole that's the whole thing. Like the whole thing is like the information that so. It's not just the account. Like, there's going to be information preceding and following, but it's all surrounding the one guy. Okay. The one guy. Which, which we'll, is, we'll get his name shortly. Yes. I was, my only question before we started was, uh-huh. where is this lake? It's in Canada. Oh, in Canada. It's in Canada. Cool, cool. So we are extending our reach. Nice. Which we've been getting some love from Canada, so shout out to Canada. We appreciate you. Our first little episode. Yeah. And Jakuni Lake, which is so, I'm gonna go ahead and say where it is, and then I and I have no idea in relation to where any of the territories what what it is, where that is. Um, so the trout and pike filled estuary known as Anjakuni Lake is located along the Kazan River in the remote Kivalik region of Nunavut, Canada. Nunavut, Nunavut. Better than me. I'm glad you're reading this one. N U N A V U T. None of it. I don't know. I probably butchered None that. of it. <laughs> I don't know. Um, he didn't catch that, listeners. I hope y'all did. What? <laughs> None of it? Yeah. <laughs> Not having any of it. Um, this out-of-the-way area is rich with legends of malicious wood spirits and beasts like the Wendigo, which we might have to do a little later. Right. I didn't know that was a Canadian thing. The Wendigo? The Wendigo? Yeah. I thought that was in West Virginia. I mean, there could be herds of them traveling, I suppose. I don't I, I don't know. I've heard of the Wendigo, but I don't know really anything at all about it. 
Yeah, I don't know if there's like a single account or if there's. I just know it's in like Fallout a... 76. Yeah. That's that's about all I know. Wendigo. What is, what is a Wendigo? You haven't seen it? Apparently you'll tell. Oh, like in the game? Yeah. Oh, I have no idea. Oh. Okay. I'm not. I, I like was giving them time to to make all the patches to fix things, so I haven't touched it. In oh, you've been playing? <laughs> yeah. Okay. But we're Fallout nerds. Okay. It's not dead to me. I was just giving them time you to just, fix you'll, things. You'll get back to it. You'll get back to it. Um. Okay, so as fascinating as tales like that might be, um, there's none more intriguing and terrifying than the controversial mystery surrounding the collective vanishing of the villagers who once lived on the stony coast of Anjakuni's frigid waters. So our tale begins on an Arctic evening back in November of 1930. A Canadian fur trapper by the name of Joe LaBelle, this is the guy I'm telling you about, Joe LaBelle, it all Joe stems LaBelle. from him. Okay, big Joe. Um, was seeking respite from the bitter cold and a warm place to bunk down for the night when he came upon an Inuit village that was nestled on the rocky shores of Canada's Lake Anjakuni. He had been there before and knew that it was usually bustling, um, like a bustling fishing village, full of tents, um, rough uh, huts, and, and locals, friendly people. Um, but this time, when he when he got there and, and sh- shouted to see if anybody would return, uh, return the call, it was met only with his echo and his snowshoes cr- crunching through the icy frost. Oh, he had the instincts of a seasoned outdoorsman, apparently. That's hearsay. <laughs> Uh, but he could he could sense some, that something was seriously amiss. He could see ramshackle structures that were silhouetted under the full moon, but he saw no people or any of the barking um, sled dogs or any other signs of life. Even within the huts, um, there was there was nothing. There he was he you know expected people to be there talking, going about their business. I think it was just a really small. I mean I think it's like thirty people or something. Um, so not a whole lot of people, but you, you would expect something coming across that. Oh yeah. So there was no smoke coming out of any of the chimneys. Uh, but he did, he did see that one, that a fire, that a campfire was lit in the distance. Um, in the distance or in the, in the village? In the village, but like far away from his current position. Trying his best to remain calm. He picked up his pace and headed towards the glowing embers of the dying fire eager to find some trace of humanity when he arrived at the flames he was greeted not by a friendly face but a charred stew that had been left to blacken above the embers so it's like nobody nobody was there or had been there Uh um i guess apparently this this labelle uh being a fur trapper was was kind of used to skulking around forests he he was at home out out in the wilderness Mm mm-hmm not easily spooked, but it's difficult to imagine that he wasn't at least a little little scared, having been here before, and there not being anybody there this time. Right. Um, so he he was going through the entire place, checking out the different shacks, pulling back, I love this term, the caribou skin flaps. Ah. Pulling back the skin flaps to not see if Not just any skin flaps. The caribou, caribou. skin flaps. Um, Trademarked. <laughs> caribou skin flap. <laughs> they make nice pilts. <laughs> Uh, trying to find anybody, any sign of life. But he discovered that the huts were stocked with the kinds of foodstuff and weapons that would never have been abandoned by their owners. In one shelter, he found a pot of stewed caribou that had been that had grown moldy and a child's half-mended seal skin coat that laid a scarred on a bunk with a bone needle still embedded in it 
as if somebody had deserted their effort to uh, mid-stitch to, I mean, I guess, fix it up. He even inspected the uh, the fish storehouse and noticed that its supplies had not depleted. Nowhere, nowhere were there any signs of a struggle or pandemonium, and LaBelle knew all too well that deserting a perfectly habitable community without rifles, food, or parkas would be unthinkable, no matter what the, the circumstances might have been to force a tribe to spontaneously migrate. As cold and fatigued as he was, he was simply too terrified to linger in the enigmatically vacant village. Big words. <laughs> Puzzling. Uh, Enigma. Although, Enigmatic. enigmatically. Yeah. It's an enigma. Although it meant he had to forego the comforts of food, warmth, and shelter, the trapper considered the risk of remaining to be of remaining to be too great and decided to make haste through the sub-zero temperatures to a telegraph office located a couple miles away. Um, so let's, let's pause there for a moment. So he's left the village, right? Right. Yes. At this so point, he's left the village. So let's let's talk a little. He's bit freaking out a little bit about his findings, just so that I, that way I don't get too lost in the details because the details are important. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to like forget them because I'm trying to take in new details. And I am trying to so, put them out there. So um, he shows up. Mm-hmm. Shows up at this this. Uh, small trading village of of what was the tribe's name i don't want to be insensitive it's an inuit tribe inuit tribe Mm -hmm. okay i'm assuming he had been like maybe this was a common route for him maybe like a like something that where maybe where he would go to do some trade or Mm -hmm. something on his way around because he said he's a fur trapper i'm sure that he had to have somebody to sell to right and they're probably buying. If nothing else, you at least or, know places along the way you can come and yeah, and swap for essentials. Like if he was looking for respite there, then obviously you know he's been there before. He was comfortable yeah. with those people enough to maybe take refuge or yeah. Well, and let's assume like maybe he did, he hadn't swung through that particular village. He may have, even if he didn't even know it was there, mm-hmm. still walking up on something like that is is rather strange. Well, especially uh-huh. in those circumstances, yeah. With you know, I guess there was rifles there, there was hunting equipment, there was which is fishing all pretty equipment. standard. I mean, especially for for people that live like you literally are living on the land up yeah. there. I mean, even the guy showing up is living on the land tra- uh, trapping. Mm-hmm. But but to leave all of that behind, right? If you were, I mean, if you were there in the first place. Well, and then the details of there actually being a fire going, mm-hmm. and I don't know as much about campfires and that sort of thing as I wish I did but I can't imagine a left campfire could burn for more than a day I would have to assume that if he's coming up on a smoldering fire that's like embers I would say 24 hours at the most yeah that's what I would assume especially we're we're talking snow conditions yeah so you're right next to a lake you're gonna have excess moisture in the air yeah there's there's no way. I feel like he might have just missed him, maybe, or maybe not just, but maybe by a couple hours. I I think I think depending a couple on how big the fire was, is a fair estimate because of the the stew that would have been burnt. True. Oh yeah. I mean, if that was if that was kind of burning, which I think is important. But see, you have it's almost like you have conflicting evidence within it because mm-hmm. you've got you've got a fire that probably hasn't been lit no more than a day. You, yeah, you've got you've got burnt stew on there. So let's assume it's been cooking. We'll say a day at most, because yeah. as long as the fire's been that they started been lit. that right underneath it. Mm-hmm. But then also he's been into. 
I mean, unless they were just not keeping their, their tent well, he went into other tents and found other, wasn't it another stew or something like yeah, that? Like sort a mold, of moldy? Like a, like a stew that had molded over. Yeah. And I mean, then uh, like a coat that had a, like a needle still sticking out of it, like mid. Which that one I kind of understand. Cause like, I mean. You drop, you drop projects. My, my sometimes. wife crochet, crochets. So it's like you're working on a project, mm-hmm. you know, you do it for as much as you can. Something comes up. You leave your needle in, so you and don't that's lose easy enough it. to set down and come back to, yeah. Yeah, but still, definitely like not a project you're taking on if the whole uh, whole camp's getting ready to up and move. Well, and you're not trying to like I don't know why. I would assume you wouldn't want to keep anything around that would potentially get you sick. So you wouldn't you wouldn't keep a moldy stew around. Oh no. So there has to have been there has to have been enough time for that to go bad as well. Yeah, that's what's kind of that's what's weird about. That's what I'm thinking about. It's so strange. So yeah, the time frames are kind of. When there's no there's no footprints also strange. right, not that I've heard, not that I've not that not that we've gotten to. Okay, I I've only listened to a little bit about this from other sources to try to do a little bit of homework myself. Mm-hmm. I I've heard that there wasn't any footprints. I wasn't sure if you found anything like that, but if there are none, that also means either. A very strange escape, or no matter what, like enough time for the snow to to fill in those footprints, which I'm not sure how heavy of the snow was going, but I feel mm-hmm. like even if it was a light snow, like I don't think that would take too long. No, about two days. Cover tracks, yeah, yeah. And if it rain, if it snowed hard enough, you know, a day. Oh yeah, easy. Um, so, all right. But yeah, back to so okay, so back to LaBelle. So he makes it to the telegraph office. Um, that was a couple miles away from the village. And within minutes, an emergency message was fired off to the closest Royal Canadian, Canadian uh, Mounted Police, the RCMP. You'll hear me refer to them, the Mounties. Uh, and it was it, the, the message was relayed to their barracks. Is it disrespectful to call them Mounties? I don't, I don't think so, honestly. I, mean, I, just, I, think I was just their, curious about that. I think that's their word for... I mean, there's, there's, I'm sure there's different police, but like instead of saying officers here, we say cops. Yeah, maybe like, like a some kind of, of turn, like a slang instead term of, of it. mounted police, mm-hmm. it's mounties. Mm-hmm. Well, because I know that mounties are supposed to be like especially prevalent along the border. I think as well. Like I'm not really sure. I mean, I've seen... not been to Canada, my friend. I haven't so. either. <laughs> I want to go. Give us a reason. Um, <laughs> we'll go. We'll go check out uh, Injukuni Lake. There we go. Maybe get some good fishing in. Yeah. Oh, and, definitely. And hopefully come yeah, back go fishing again without burnt stew. Yeah, no no moldy stew either. Um, okay, so by the time the Mounties arrived several hours later, he had calmed himself enough to relate the you know, what he had seen. So the Mounties were going we're gonna we're gonna go check out the village. Um, and according to the world's greatest UFO mysteries, little side, um, they stopped at a little shanty along the way that was shared by a trapper, Armand Laurent, and his sons. And they were, and they told them that they were going up to Anjakuni to deal with a kind of problem. Um, they inquired as to whether or not the Laurents had seen anything unusual during the past few days, and the trapper was forced to concede that he and his sons had spied a bizarre, gleaming object soaring across the sky just a few days before. We're already opening the UFO can. UFO. That didn't take long to bust open. No, um, but that's not the only. That's not the only conclusion of this. Um, okay. Loren, I 
you know. No, Loren claimed that the enormous illuminated flying thing, quote unquote, seemed to change shape before their very eyes, transforming from a cylinder into a bullet-like object. He further divulged that his unusual ob- that this unusual object was flying in the direction of the village at Anjakuni. The Mounties left Loren uh, soon after and continued. And when they arrived on the scene, they were not only able to confirm LaBelle's testimony regarding the state of the, of the village, but according to some sources, they made an additional, even more arcane, ooh, I like that word, arcane, discovery on the outskirts of the community. Wait, was, was Big Joe with them when they went back, or did they go solo? No, I guess that Joe LaBelle stayed behind. I guess he must have been at the, um, back at the... The Mountie Station? So he, so he didn't make it to their barracks. He made it to the telegraph station oh, to, gotcha. to message he, them. Okay, and I sorry. think that that's like you're reporting to the Mounties and then to the cops, and then they're going to come over, and then they're going to go check out the scene. So they you never met up and went, so that way. Okay. Yeah. I don't think they took him back to the scene of the crime or whatever it was. Gotcha. Um, so various accounts verify that the officers conducting the search were alarmed when they stumbled across a plethora of open graves in the village burial ground. In fact... If some of the more outrageous statements are to be believed, every single tomb had been opened and even more puzzlingly emptied. So now we got grave robbers and aliens and disappearing people. There are also less dramatic, though no less baffling reports that state that it was just a single tomb that was violated. Either way, it's a severe taboo uh, for an Inuit grave to be desecrated. I think it's cold-blooded to do to anybody. Well, you would think, yeah. But, I mean, I guess apparently even more so based on, you know. I think uh, it's just a pretty good rule. You shouldn't dig up anybody's grave. Yes, but I think it meant a little bit more maybe it's just because an of burial practices. For and the culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I just mean I think that I don't think anybody's culture would be cool with that. No. But... But so there was no, but there were no even, even like no bodies left in the in the graves either. Like there wasn't just like if there was stuff in them, then not just the stuff was taken, but so were the, the skeletons. Did it say? So I know we had the one that the the account that said some say it was only one. Mm-hmm. How many did the other one say? Um, so it said that there's a, that that a lot of like, there's lot. more there's more people saying that it was many graves, uh-huh. like many open graves, as opposed to just one open grave. Gotcha. Um, which I, I wonder why our, our friend friend Joe didn't didn't run across that and put it. In yeah, his. I'm wondering how he missed that. I'm not sure how big this village is supposed to be, but yeah, maybe. I mean, maybe he just wasn't in that part of the village, or mm-hmm. I don't know. That is that is kind of odd. Unless unless maybe it wasn't. Joe went there, snooped around, was like, "This is weird. I'm out." And as soon as he left to go tell the Mounties, shortly after. That's when something, maybe this bullet UFO, maybe just some douchebags, rolled through and robbed the graves after he had initially came. Well, maybe the grave robbers, yeah. But the Mounties, when they went up and talked to um, the Lorenz, the the trappers that they saw right, on the way. Right, kind of like in between He shack. said that it was a couple of days ago that they had seen the, the flying object. Okay. So that would have been a couple of days before. So it's just some douchebags. Yeah. Grave robbing. Abraham people. Or I don't think it was. I don't think that was such an uncommon thing back then, though. 1930s, maybe. I yeah. mean, grave robbing. I feel like until the past like 50 years has been a common thing, mm-hmm. and it still happens. Oh yeah. Um, 
Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Never mind. I'll save my conclusions for the end. Yes. To add an extra pinch of weird to the proceedings, witnesses oh, claimed... we need that little spice thrown in. We didn't have enough. Bah. Mary Berry's going to come at you. That's too much. That's Mary too Berry? Much. <laughs> now you got to Emily get a bam flavor. <laughs> Uh, witnesses claimed that the earth around the grave was frozen as hard as rock. These reports also suggest that the marker stones had been stacked in two neat piles on either side of the graves, confirming that this was not the work of animals. So people did this. Yeah. Something but I don't know why that, I don't know why that's this. such a big deal that the, that the area outside of the grave was frozen if it's if you're in snow and you had already buried that or like you had you had dug up a grave like well, dirt mixing you, with snow is going to freeze yeah but depending. i think i think their point is that it's been that way for a minute to do that at least a couple days because um when you're digging that up you're it's like shuffling sand you're knocking everything loose so it would yeah. it would unfreeze it so it's not it's like it's not fresh snow but like hard packed at that point well, we're talking about the ground that they actually dug up. This is true. Yeah. So so they're just saying that the it's been there for a minute mm-hmm. to for that to the ground to be able to refroze after it's been dug up out of the grave. Yes. That makes sense. Okay. So they they saw the graves. Uh, needless to say the Mounties at the scene were perturbed to say the least by these discoveries and a substantial search party was organized post haste. During the search, no additional clues as to the villagers' whereabouts were turned up, but another discovery was made. According to reports, no less than seven, though some say two or three. This thing goes back and forth a lot. According to reports, no less than seven sled dog carcasses were discovered about 300 feet away from the edge of the village. According to Canadian pathologists, these unfortunate canines all apparently died of starvation, whereupon they were covered by snow drifts which buried them nearly 12 feet deep. So that's the people gone. That's the dogs maybe ran away 300, 300 feet. And then they all died out there starving. So the dogs were 300 feet from the village? Mm-hmm. Because, huh. I mean, you know, I guess that they would set up a, a sort of perimeter and that yeah. they're all kind of just going around looking around. And they find these dogs. Well, 12 feet deep, though. They had to dig. They had to dig a bit for that. Were the dogs were 12 feet in the snow? They're saying, yeah, that, that snow would cover them up to 12 feet. Yeah, that's a lot. That's, that's a lot. That's like a... I mean, I know it snows a lot in Canada, but... But they're like digging. They're, they they got to be going around digging around, too, so... I feel like that's like a year's worth of snowfall. That's a lot of... Well... I mean, you can get you can get two or three feet of snow in, I think, a couple of days. Just like Just like you can get... Well, I mean, you get inches of rain i guess it just depends but an inch of rain is a lot more in that's the a snow. lot yeah yeah no that's true either way no, that's a foot, a foot of snow. snow that's a lot yeah but i don't think it would take crazy long hold on we do our we take our research serious here at the creepy campfire podcast and look how long it okay after some quick research <laughs> Ryan did the enough. the ski lodge that's nearby at Lake Anjakuni. Okay. Uh, they record on average between 21 and 45 feet a year. Wow. So we're ta- if, if they were 12 feet deep in snow, we're talking that's a half a year. That's a half a year. Six months. You don't still have a fire burning at six no. months. 
Weird. That almost makes me wonder if the dogs are related. Right? I don't know. I'll keep that one in my hip pocket as as the story progresses. Well, yeah, so the Mounties are, are like, asking themselves that, too. They're, like, if they're a part of this thing and they had, I mean, obviously had people around at some point and they're surrounded by huts that were full of food, how did they end up managing to starve to death? Uh, but apparently it looked it looked like they might have been tied to some of the trees that were by them. So Which kind of makes sense if get you're a, to get away. a village, because, you know, if you're just letting the dogs run free through the village, they're going to snoop and they're going to eat food there anyway. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, like, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. Um, logic seems to dictate that the dogs certainly would not have had time to starve to death between the moment of this collective vanishing and the arrival of LaBelle, which is what we're talking about. Who reportedly found food still burning on dying embers. So that's what makes it hard to relate. Um, I was that, just trying to place like why they were where they were. So it makes sense that they were tied up. Yes. Yeah. Um, but that begs the question, did the villagers allow their own dogs to go hungry intentionally before they disappeared? Or were the, the dogs uh, whose very existence that was like essential back then, because that's how they got around. That was their means of transportation. Um, were that why what like what happened what happened to him because i i feel like they would have been if you don't have any other tribe for however like in whichever direction however close i feel like that had to be yeah no i mean it's like dogs it's like how serious people took their horses Mm -hmm. during like in america until like the 1800s yeah that's just how you got around yeah and like you take care of that and like if you took somebody's horse you got killed. Yeah. So like your transportation's everything when you're out in the wild like that. You don't mess with sled dogs either. Yeah. yeah. And I can't see that happen. I can't see them just leading, leaving their dogs to starve. Unless, the only, only way I can see that is if they are in dire conditions. Mm-hmm. But at least the conditions at the camp didn't indicate that. Yeah. Because they had plenty of food, plenty of stock on everything. So it... It would make sense if rations were running low, like, don't really want to do this, but we got to kind of let, you know, dogs got missing meals, so that way the, the kids can eat. Yeah, it's so weird, though, because they said that even they even still had, like, fish in the in the fish huts. And exactly. Stuff like so they weren't hurting on food, so Mm-mm. they weren't starving the dogs. Yeah. And I can't imagine they'd leave the dogs that they, you know, got them around they had to have cared about. I couldn't imagine they'd just leave them tied up. For no good reason, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, without an intent to, like, go back and get them at some right. point. So, odd. I don't know if they just missed them on the way out or what happened. Well, they would have, I mean, if they were planning a big journey, at least you would think they would they would have used taken them. them. Yeah. Because yeah. they're, they're sled dogs. But they all just disappeared. So why didn't foot? the dogs pull a sled? <laughs> See, so these are where the questions come from. This yeah. is where it stems from. This is what makes it fun. Um, that's really all it gives us on the dogs. That's it. Just that they were dead 300 feet away. We're layering. Tied to trees. Nice, even layers. Layers. (laughs) (laughs) No soggy bottoms on this podcast. Ew, gross. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But if that wasn't strange enough, the officers at the scene also reported odd bluish lights pulsating on the horizon above the village. The men watched until the illumination disappeared, all of them concurring that this unusual light show did not resemble the Aurora Borealis. So, lights in the sky that aren't the Borealis. I didn't know that was viewable from there. I'm sorry. When did they see this, though? This well, I, guess the, while they, I guess while they were investigating. So, while they were investigating, area. the Mounties saw this? Yeah, they okay. saw 
I just, I didn't know if there was a detail like while they were leaving. Some, some blinky lights. Yeah. Which could mean anything. Um, I think once you're on that like northern curvature of the Earth, you can you can start to see the aurora borealis. Well, I think it's I think just, most people go to like a, what Alaska or yeah Alaska. But I mean Alaska is depending on where you're at. You're the same. Uh, was it latitude? General as uh, yeah as Alaska. So because I I don't think it necessarily it's like you don't have to be in a certain hemisphere. No. I, think, I think you can see it in like Russia too. I think it's just you have to be north enough. I thought enough. you could see it in like maybe Iceland or... I think you just got to be north enough. Yeah. Yeah, it's on the northern yeah. uh, pole, right? I think. I'd look this up like the snowfall, but this is tang- ten- tangential. Yes. Ooh, that's a, tangential? Yeah. That's not a word, but I like it. Yeah, it is. Is it? <laughs> look it up. <laughs> um, okay, so after two weeks of investigation, they've been at it for two weeks... Based on some berries that they found in one of the cooking pots, they came to the conclusion that the villagers had been gone for at least two months. And that presented yet another question. If the Inuits had re- really had abandoned their homes eight weeks before, then who was responsible for making the fire that LaBelle saw when he first arrived? Huh. Yeah, I like... I feel like that's almost too middle of the road of a date. Cause like it's, it's too, it's, it's long enough for things like the tracks and things like that to be covered over. Yeah. But it's too soon for things like the dogs to starve to death and be buried in six months worth of snow or the only thing, the only thing I could possibly think is that, if there is like a like a recent fire and there are graves dug that obviously the villagers that lived there wouldn't have done themselves that grave robbers might have come through afterwards like after they found all those people but you would think that grave robbers would take stuff that's readily available too like their rifles or but if somebody came through whether you're a grave dro- grave robber grave robber just another trapper or one of these one of these indigenous people whoever made that fire, their prints would have still been in the snow. This is true. That's the, that's the one hiccup. It's this fire. And really the, the fire is the big hang up for, mm-hmm. for as far as timing all of this. Yeah. And then too, I'm not, I'm not sure if you know, but other things that would point out time is I'm thinking like metal, like whatever metal they had, like the rifles, mm-hmm. like has any of that rusted? That would be other things to point know, to time. Yeah, but. We, shit, we should have been Mounties in the 30s. <laughs> <laughs> but we would have figured it out. Right. Nail, well. Although if it was aliens, I would have wanted not. not I don't good. want to figure not, that not out. Mess with that. Um, yeah, it's, so the fire is the main main one that's... It throws the whole time frame for a, for a loop. Which we can only trust Joe with. Mm-hmm. Because the only, he's the only... Well... I mean, obviously the Mounties came shortly after, but it still took him. I imagine days. First, yeah, but firsthand account, like that was LaBelle, and he only saw what he saw. So, yeah. And to this point, I don't have any reason to doubt what he reported, because it wasn't like he reported anything necessarily outlandish. No, he didn't come back, and there was blood on the tents and all kinds of craziness. But uh, yeah. The fire is the the one the one thing holding us up. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I don't know. We'll see if it, we'll see if everyone figures itself out. Um, so here we have the first official like account, the first writing of it. So this was all of that was. Um, I'm assuming first-hand accounts passed down, but this is like the first time it was actually written about uh, and printed on November 28th of 1930. Uh, I think that, so initially he showed up in early November, I'm assuming, maybe mid, but it was written written about not long after. What did you say? Was it November 21st? It didn't give me a date for when the bell oh, came just across November. it. Yeah, it just said it? November. Gotcha. Okay. Um, 1930. So November 28th, 1930, um, a special correspondent, Emmett E. Kelleher, published a report of the events in the Canadian newspaper Le Pas Manitoba. Solid. Uh, as there were no available images of the Njikuni settlement at the time, this article, as was standard procedure at the time, was accompanied by a stock photo of a deserted Cree tent encampment taken in 1909, which has led some to discount the entire thing. That's not fair. Right. I mean, I think I think you have the right to question the article's integrity. Yeah. Um, which is sad, because, I mean, I'm sure the guy was just like, we need to fill some space. His editor told him, we got to have, some, have something here. So they pulled the stock photo. I'm sure there's probably lots of instances of that that we probably don't even know about. Yeah. I think that allows you to question even what, that person wrote in the article, but I don't think that means you can question Joe or what the Mounties. Mm-hmm. I don't think that their accounts you can you can question Joe or the Mounties just because you had a bad reporter. Yeah, well, I mean, and not even not even just that. Like the reporter wasn't going to take him upon himself to like get a another sketch drawn or a because well, well they said okay so stock photo so they had photography at that point but nobody had taken a picture of like Andrew yet like nobody had taken a picture of that village specifically yeah I mean, well and I wonder too if it was even possible I don't know too much about 1930s photography photography yeah for all I know you could still be having to do the the tripod only mm-hmm. method and temperature might have been a problem exactly and... like maybe you couldn't get a good picture because it was too cold or yeah I, I don't I don't know how it worked. So for whatever reason, if if they can't, and we're not link talking like an expedition to, to Mount Everest where they would have made it happen. Yeah, we're talking oh a little story that's going to show up at the bottom of a mm-hmm. Canadian newspaper. So it's not People like they're missing. like make it happen. They just need a photo. Yeah. So so they did that. Um, and while most say that La Paz Manitoba was the first to the punch, there are others who insist that the initial report was actually published a day earlier by the Danville Bee. Regardless of who got the scoop first, it's the opinion of most researchers that the account that caught the pu- that caught the public's interest the most was printed in November 29th, on November 29th, so I guess the day after La Paz, um, 1930 edition of Halifax Herald, below the undeniably sensationalistic headline, Tribe Lost and Barons of the North, Village of Dead Found by Wandering Trapper Joe LaBelle. That is quite a title. A little wordy, but that's it's, it's like a Leslie Nope title. That's that's pretty long. Yeah, that's very specific. <laughs> um, but okay, so here's back to LaBelle. He did not mince words when he described his harrowing discovery to reporters. I thought this is uh, verbatim LaBelle. This is 
His okay. direct quote. Uh, I felt immediately that something was wrong in view of half-cooked dishes. I knew they had been disturbed during the preparation of dinner. In every cabin, I found a rifle leaning beside the door, and no Eskimo goes nowhere without his gun. I understood that something terrible had happened. I mean, that's a safe guess, but I wouldn't... I guess I wouldn't assume that. He must He must have, have gone specifically to this village before and seen these people. Otherwise, I don't, I don't know. I, don't know. I mean, I think if a whole village was just gone, even if whether I'd been there or not, especially depending on the size of the village, if we're talking like, if we're talking like four huts, yeah, then I'm like, okay, maybe everyone's just out doing their thing. But if we're talking more than that, even how many even, huts do you think thirty people take up? You got to think some of them. Some of them are families, at least. I'd assume four people a hut. So we're, talking, so we're not talking that many. We're talking maybe six or seven. Yeah. Seven or eight. But still, you've got... It's not often that there's going to be a reason for everyone in a village, especially a village of that. It, it you, you know what? Regardless of the village, for any tor- type of settlement, everybody's got their job. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're a settlement in the middle of the wilderness, in the bittering, bitter cold of Canada. Yeah. Everybody's got their job. Everybody's job's important to make sure everybody else stays alive. Yeah. So that's why certain people went out and hunted. But while they went out and hunted, other people hung back because there was things to do in the village. You Mm -hmm. know, we have to prep what we caught. We have to to make these caribou skin flaps for the tents. (laughs) (laughs) Caribou skin flaps. We got, you know. Yeah, they're stitching stitching up the kids' clothes and stuff like that. And I'm not even just talking women. Like, I'm sure there's jobs like men had to stay oh, back yeah. to do. Like, is, there's some a lot of hunting, some refishing. Yeah, some... there's a lot of tasks. And I feel like no matter what, you need somebody to hang back in case, I don't know, in case a crazy storm blows through. Somebody's got to bring everything in the mm-hmm. huts, make sure everything's tied down and safe. Yeah. So I feel like no matter what size village I'm showing up to, if there's a settlement and everybody's gone, I have to assume something happened because it had to like be something food big and enough. Guns everywhere, and yeah. Well, there the be, fact they didn't nuts. take the guns is strange too. If some, if quote, if something did happen. Yeah. Okay. After tissue number four, Jordan, please continue. Okay. So after this brief uh, media blitz, the bizarre event was kind of filed away under a heap of unsolved cases until 1959. So 29 years later, um, when journalist and author Frank Edwards dug up the tale and included it in in his book, Stranger Than Science, um, in which he gets apparently a a couple of accounts from some of the Mounties. And according to them, he included this tale in his book, Stranger Than Science. Frank Edwards did while Edwards did not usually shy away from the unusual, he was not prone to over-sensationalism, and there are no accounts of this reporter ever outright fabricating a tale, yet that is just what the Mounties accused him of on the webpage that they've dedicated to this mysterious case. So this has been an ongoing thing, apparently, if it's got a webcage. Webcage? Webpage. <laughs> Caging them secrets in, son. Webcage. Um... <laughs> In which, so according to the Mounties, uh, Edwards manufactured the whole affair for his book and then no such event ever occurred as printed on the RCMP website. So the, what was the acronym for that? Wait, so on the Mounties website, they're saying this never happened? Yes. 
but they made this is 30 years later this is so this is different mounties but this is 30 years later 29 years later okay but so they're denying that even the mounties that went out there there's this no we didn't send mounties out there in 1930 and none of this happened they're, they've got a they've got an actual um quote from from oh from me. from the mounties website the story about the disappearance in the 1930s of an Inuit village near Lake Anjakuni is not true. An American author by the name of Frank Edwards is purported to have started this story in his book, Stranger Than Science. It has become a popular piece of journalism, repeatedly published and referred to in books and magazines. There is no evidence, however, to support such a story. A village with such a large population would not have existed in such a remote area of the Northwest Territories. Furthermore, the mounted police who patrolled the area recorded no untoward events of any kind, and neither did local trappers or missionaries. Which makes no sense to me, because obviously there was the report 29 years late earlier of those events. Wait, wait, excuse me. Well, this, okay, so this Frank Edwards wrote his book in 59? In 59. Right. When was this website published? That It hasn't said. Okay, but I was apparently say, there is still a Mounties website. It just clicked with me that there couldn't have been one in nineteen fifty-nine. Exactly, exactly. But so modern times. That's what I'm saying. They must have been. They being, must have been really mad. So it's still up there. It's still up. That's crazy. That is crazy because what I don't understand is there was like three, at least one verifiable, but if not one, if not just one, possibly three verifiable newspapers. Mm-hmm. That printed this. And one is a first-hand account. And, well, of one dude. And then there's multiple accounts of these Mounties that went and investigated the area. So. I hear nothing but good things about our neighbors to the north, but this this reeks of a conspiracy. Why are these Mounties fighting Mounties? I don't know. So this, it kind of goes into it. So, um, So to begin with, as mentioned, the first known accounts of this event were not published, were not published after but but in the same year that the that the event had taken place in 1930 so like 29 years before that book had happened so how are they saying like how are they saying that it could never have happened it's it was it was before it was beforehand this means that there's no way that he could have concocted the legend also there are records of at least two separate investigations into the subject by members of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police yeah, this is just weird. The first engage- investigation following the Mounties who responded to LaBelle's initial reports, that first group we talked about, was launched on January 17th, 1931. So the report. The official report. The official yeah. report. I'm sure that was probably after they took time and found the dogs buried 12 feet in the snow. Yeah, because and... that's just a couple months after. That's yeah. January, and they were there in November. Yeah, so it makes sense that it would take a couple months to, to make an official mm-hmm. report on it. So. Yeah. Um, the man in charge of that case was a Royal Canadian Mounted Police officer named Sergeant Jay Nelson, who was stationed with the La Paz Detachment. I guess La Paz is maybe that area. I guess the lake must be near Manitoba, because I think Manitoba is... Oh, I've got no clue. ...is an area. I've, I've heard Manitoba before. I think that's an area around there. Um... So if Nelson, you're in Manitoba, contact us. We'd like to hear from you. Yeah. Creepycampfirepodcast at gmail.com. We want to know your geographic status. Um, we can just look you up. We're going to. <laughs> after a quick Google search after the show, 
Uh, turns out Manitoba is not just like a little small village or a town near Lake Anjikuni. It's an entire province of Canada. Um, so our bad guys. And on top of that, you guys are the province giving us the most downloads. So shout out to Manitoba. So uh, Nelson, the sergeant, became intrigued by the unusual reports hailing from the region and decided to make what he qualified as diligent inquiries from different sources. But it's unclear as to whether or not his investigation was sanctioned by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. He would go on to declare that he could find no foundations for this story. According to information taken for the Canadian UFO report... The best case is revealed. Nelson's assumptions, I guess they talked to Nelson. Nelson's assumptions were based on a single conversation he had with the unnamed owner of the Windy, of the Windy Lakes Trading Post, or Windy, whichever, uh, who told him that he had not heard about the deserted village from any of the trappers that came through his store. But that doesn't give me a time frame. But this guy, this mysterious guy... Who said? Who Nelson says he talked to mm-hmm. said that he never heard of the village. Yeah, had no reports mm. of anybody. Yeah, which and he, apparently he owned a store that was close. I feel like that's a take it or leave it. Like yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe not, maybe. So the gossipy store owner even went so far as to say that he had heard that Labelle originally hailed from the south of the northwestern territory and had likely never been within one hundred miles of Lake Anjakuni. Huh. According to Nelson. Joe LaBelle, the trapper who is alleged to have related the story to Emmett E. Kelleher, the correspondent, is considered to be a newcomer to this, con- to this country, and doubts are expressed as to whether he has ever even been in the territories. So now people are questioning whether he even made it into Canada. Huh. <laughs> it's, it, it, like, backtracks a bunch of steps first, and then slowly unfurls itself. It's so weird. It's so weird. Huh. Um, but wait, do we have... Do we know if there were in- Inuit tribes in that area? Like, m- maybe not necessarily, like, not a, like, like a, in that region. Like, I don't want to keep it as small, but, like, can we start broad? And- I can only assume. I mean, they weren't, the, the tribes weren't only across, you know, the U.S. at that point. Like, they were, they had to, there had to have been some that were, um, you know, regional to, to Canada. Some, I mean, a, a, that's, I think, right along the border anyways. So it wouldn't have been too far off. Okay. I don't think it's outside of the realm of I'll, I'll probably upload some images on the website if I can ever, Jesus help me, get that caught up. <laughs> um, because I, I, I just, just running a quick Google search, found, you know, locations of Inuit tribes at that time versus the location of Anjikuni. Mm-hmm. which is very north, and I don't doubt that they could probably see the Aurora Borealis from there, by the way, now, after seeing that. <laughs> there you go. Um, but, yeah, I don't see any reason why there wouldn't be, at least it's totally possible that a tribe would have been in that area. Yeah. So, Mr. Bartender, I'm sorry you didn't hear about it, but I think it's a distinct possibility. Right. I won't call him a bold-faced liar. But I think it's, I don't see a reason why there couldn't have been. Yeah. So it's, so it's uncertain that he, that he ever even spoke to LaBelle, Nelson, this Nelson guy who keeps defaming other people. Um, or, or that he even bothered to travel to Lincoln, to Anjakuni Lake to investigate it himself. 
Um, we're talking about Nelson, who so Nelson might not have even went to yeah, like okay, like he's just talking to people that talked to other people, like so that's word of mouth. Um, so one has to assume that the state of the village has not changed much in less than two months since LaBelle stumbled out of there in a panic. So that was that report was January, right? So this was only a short time after. And he found it in November. LaBelle had found it in November, yes. Right. So there is, but there is nothing concrete saying that this Nelson who, who filed the official report, the first official report, had actually talked to him or actually gone to the village himself. Right. He had just talked to surrounding people. Um, I so don't does, know how you can make an official report without even talking to right? the person that made the not complaint that it tipped you off. What like, are you doing, Nelson? Bring like, your facts. Get your like facts it's first. Worse than the person that used the stock photo. Like, well, so okay. So despite the fact that Nelson seemed only to be reporting hearsay, uh, he would terminate his inquiry by stating that the case for the quote unquote the case for the vanished village rests upon the story of an inexperienced trapper told to an imaginative and not too conscientious newsman. So he doesn't know. He's like, I'm out. I'm not questioning, but he didn't do a lot for the case. In that, yeah, in that it sounds meantime. like you had one guy that talked to a few people. Sounds like, like you're a lazy. Yeah, he didn't want to do. He the, was like, ah, it sounds like bunk. I don't feel like walking yeah. up there. Ah, we'll call it good. Yeah, I'll talk to this guy. Nobody yeah, seems we'll see to be said. hurt by it. Yeah, and I don't know too much about the relations with the early Canadian peoples and the native peoples yeah but if they're anything like ours were it wasn't too great so if some natives went missing in the 1930s i can i wouldn't be surprised if people were like eh, no big deal right which is terrible and we don't condone that people are people no matter where you're from or what you look like but that would be really terrible if like after all that you find out that it was just like a like a big cover-up like a big conspiracy or no, cover I, up that they like just got rid of. They just demolished a village of people. And then oh, like, oh, I don't even mean like that would be terrible and messed right? up if they just like bulldozed over their village. No, I was just thinking like they legitimately went missing in some strange fashion, but because they were who they were, mm-hmm. that certain prejudiced people didn't feel the need to, to look into it because they didn't view it as serious enough. Definitely could have been. Which is terrible. Yep. And I hope that's not what happened. And it does not sound like our nice, kind Canadian friends to the north, but there's some bad eggs every oh, every every couple dozen. So, um, Anyways, it goes without saying that skeptics hail this as the final word regarding the event, but with all due respect to Officer Nelson, one has to wonder how in-depth his investigation actually went. Even skeptics are not going to accept that as the final word. I am a skeptic. I am not accepting that as the final word. No, because it's we all trash. We are asking how in-depth he went. He didn't go in-depth. You did. He's a dummy. You have to at least talk to the person yeah. that filed it, that sent the telegram. Well, yeah, because it's making it sound... So it says it, it seems as if he himself was a skeptic right out of the gate and never had any intention of actually digging for the truth. Even if he had only talked to Joe only talked to Joe and mm-hmm. didn't go there or anything, didn't talk to anybody else, only talked to Joe and was like, yeah, this guy seems like he's kind of full of it. I would accept that more than what he did do. 
Well, yeah, because he talked to a store owner not even close to the actual area. Yeah. I don't know. So none of this, of course, proves or disproves the case's veracity. But one need to main, but one need maintain a skeptical eye towards both those who support unconventional theories as well as those who strive to debunk them out of hand. Okay, so that's all it gives me on Nelson. So in November, in the November 1976 edition of Fate magazine, I know this is jumping a couple years ahead, guys, but or decades, but excuse me. Um, this mystery was dusted off in an article titled Vanished Village Revisited by Dwight Waylands. The article confirmed that there were records showing that the Royal Canadian Mounted Police had investigated the case again in 1931. These Mounties did admit to discovering an uninhabited settlement, but they deemed it to be either a seasonal or permanent abandonment of the site, with no mysterious overtones and perhaps conveniently declared the case closed. Okay. Well, while it's known that many Inuit tribes were still semi-nomadic in the 1930s, they would never have deserted their homes, be it temporarily or permanently, in the dead of winter without their prized rifles and essential provisions and their snow dogs. Yeah. There's no way. That's just common sense. <laughs> so when, one can, when, when we consider all of the ramifications of this case... It's difficult to blame law enforcement officials for wanting the whole Angie Cooney debacle to disappear. I disagree with that. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police's inaccurate disclaimer is an obvious attempt to distance their organization from an enigmatic cold case that does not necessarily reflect highly on them. More significantly, is over 70 years old. Yeah, I mean, in all fairness to them, like, no matter what happened... You can't prove squat now unless you have something sitting in a locker mm-hmm. to prove it. So you can't prove or disprove. So, but it's your no job matter, to try to go and figure it out. True, but I think what had happened was their guys dropped the ball in the thirties. Yeah, and nobody really cared about it until almost thirty years later. Mm-hmm. And thirty years later, and then it disappeared for another thirty years. Yeah, so with that much time lapsing, it being a relatively small, isolated incident, I'm sure they were thinking, eh, you guys forgot about it for 30 years, why don't we just forget about it? I mean, can and you believe that? It went, so it happened in 1930. It's reported and dropped in 1931, and it's not picked up again until 1959. But did you just say it was report like they made another report? The Mount- Mounties went out a, a second time in 1931. That's what it said, but it didn't. But it didn't have anything official on it. Gotcha. Like it, didn't, it didn't have any quotes or no names to pull report. from. Gotcha. Just kind of hearsay. Yeah. Gotcha. And that's that's it. That's literally all that there is. And from there, it's all skepticism and hearsay. Yeah. So it's not picked up again again until 1959, and then dropped again, and then picked up again in 1976. Like, first of all, why do we keep coming back to it? I mean, I get that it should that it needs to be. It has its place. Oh yeah, and especially like, could you imagine if you're one of the descendants of that? Yeah, but but in between that, that time, nobody went to go. No, went nobody went to go check it out. Like, well, that was that's my thing. Is like you have so this is almost. You've got two different things going on you've got is there something some conspiracy going with the mounties Mm -hmm. and then you have the whole lake situation itself yeah then you have to question is there even a lake 
or well, obviously there's a lake. <laughs> was there even a, a, a settlement? Yeah, on the lake. Well, and then there's then there's you know there's the supposed aliens like maybe maybe alien mark, sighting. Yeah. I don't know. So I mean that's all it gives me as far as the the case itself, and then it just kind of goes into you know questioning it like, uh-huh. what's up with the alien abduction? Well, I think those are questions we should ask. They say that it could have been a demon attack. Oh no, I mean like. We we're should, we're gonna ask. I'm yeah. just gonna go through the the potentials that this thing. Oh, so out for so me. these are the potential explanations for it. So alien abduction. Uh huh. Demon attack. Uh huh. Can't ever take Satan off. Vampires. Ah, of course. That they had slipped into another dimension. Okay. And that's it. That's really. It. That's it. They have, have they have so that means they don't have anything. That I means mean, they'd have nothing. I've got potentially one more. Which would just be disease, but yeah, I just—it's definitely very strange. Like it's you incredibly come, strange. You come across an empty village. Everything what? looks in its place, besides the fact that there's no people. Well, I think there's one question we got to ask before we break anything else down. What's up? Is do you think there is a there or there was a village at Lake Anjikuti? Yes. Yeah, I think there was too. I don't think that. I don't think that Joe, that this LaBelle, this big Joe, had any reason to lie. Yeah, I don't see a reason for it. Especially if he was uh, familiar with the area, he had been through that way before. Which Nelson tried to put into question, but yeah, I don't really hold anything he says worth any weight at all because he didn't even talk to Joe himself. So yeah, I mean, obviously, something went down. Obviously, somebody had to come and tell them. Like some, obviously, somebody told the Mounties about it. Because if the Mounties didn't talk about it, then Nelson would have, would have had no reason to file a report in January of uh, 31. Right. So, well, I think their argument is Joe made up this story for these newspapers. And because of that, that's why Nelson was sent. That's... It's bunk. It's so but, bonkers. All right, so we, we are both in agreement that there there was a village there. Oh, yeah. So now we can, as long as we're in agreement with that, then we can speculate what happened to them. But yeah. it's it's really strange. I, I, the dimensional one doesn't sound as bad as the others. Well, I definitely don't think it was vampires or a demon. I hope it wasn't a demon. I mean, I don't know what a Wendigo is supposed to be, but I don't think it's either of those things either. I mean, you never know, man. Just open up some portals and people fall through. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's just, it's it's so weird. I mean, their dogs, their dogs are left for dead. Food is left. Everything's timing is weird. Everything's timing is so weird. There's still a fire going somehow. But dogs are under six feet of snow. Twelve feet of snow. Or I'm sorry, six months is what I was thinking. Yeah, so six, six months worth yeah. of snow. Snow, yeah, snow. Snow. <laughs> sorry, guys. I don't. Yeah, we can't English. Um, <laughs> I just don't. This was a this was a cool one. I, I liked it a lot. It's almost it's like it so is kind weird. of like I never thought about it this way before. It is kind of like a dimensional. I don't know. Not tear, but just a weird zone of dimensional strangeness because we've got multiple things acting under multi- multiple time frames because mm-hmm. we got a fire and a, and a pot acting in a day's worth of time we have buried dogs that's six feet 
we have this molded stew that had to take at least a week, maybe longer because cold. Yeah, it would have it would have taken longer. So like, there's three different time frames in itself. Not to mention tracks that are not existent. Yeah. So we have different different things acting under different time frames in the same area. I mean, the whole the only thing that like makes this super. I mean, it's weird that they disappeared for sure, and that the and the circumstances surrounding it. But the only thing that makes this, I feel like a like a crazy myth or legend, is the one person, the one account of a supposed ufo like i don't what know else, what else makes this like a the fire then the no footprints well yeah and plus but i mean you but, but the only thing that left. the only thing that gives it like a like a crazy a crazy out there um like beyond just like like myth or legend status is is that there's the ufos attached to it potentially well okay hold on let's put the let's put the ufos on pause for a minute yeah let's think about it this way then because you're saying that's the only thing that really makes it kind of a strange legend well besides yeah let's let's also let's take the fire thing away from it because that's also kind of the only other weird thing hanging around Mm -hmm. all right let's let's take that out let's say everything just kind of does look like somebody up and left yeah but there's nothing weird like the fire that makes time kind of strange all right why did why did they up and leave and leave every possession that they had, including essentials, even if you were just going to take a day trip, like your guns and your, your snow dogs? And their dogs, yeah. That's what I don't unless it the only reason I could see people not being there, leaving everything behind, is if a disease hit the tribe. And because a lot of times, like if a disease would, would hit a tribe, that person would die. They would either bury them or burn them far away to keep it from infecting anyone else. Yeah. Let's say we get down to our last like three or four people of the tribe. They realize they have it and they just kind of walk and just keep walking and try to have a, a death in nature or something well, what of that I was gonna, Yeah. Well, where I was going to go similar, uh, I mean, not like suicide pact, but... I mean, I don't know. I mean, if if they've tread, if they've like trudged the the lake there, like if they found, if they could potentially find any bodies in there, or like, I mean, they are right on the shore. That's a lot of time. That's a long. That's a long time. Plus, I'm but, not but, sure. But back then, they wouldn't have had the the know how or wherewithal to do that. Oh no, I mean, like it's a lot of time between uh, when it happened and now. Oh yeah, like what you would find. I don't know what would be left. Mm-hmm. And be, besides that, I'm not sure. Well, the, the well, the entire shoreline would be different now. Oh yeah. Well, I'm not even sure how long during the year that place isn't froze over. Yeah. Oh yeah, you're right. You would think that if it's snow, well, you know, there's potential. I don't know how big the lake is, but it, you know, there's the potential that it could have been frozen over when they were doing that. Oh, it was. It was for sure frozen over. When 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 uh when it, it was discovered by on Joe, yeah, in November. Oh come on, yeah. That's just crazy. I mean, the dogs, the dogs kind of throws it off for me too. The dogs in the fire. I don't. I don't think it was a UFO. I don't. Well, I think when people get into things like the UFO interdimensional, is when they start just looking for a reason. I feel like. So I think when people start talking about interdimensional and aliens and 
quote the more out there explanations mm-hmm. for why the people were missing is when they're trying to explain uh, elements like the footprints because elements like the fire made it seem like someone had to have been there recently. Yeah. So why are there no footprints if there's evidence of somebody recently being there? Well, and to tack onto that, the whole grave robbery thing, super weird. Oh, yeah. Super weird. Like, there's no way that while the tribe was there, like I said, would they would they have themselves dug into that grave if it was one of them then they would have left it alone like so some there's something else and you said everything was play. missing from the graves right there was nothing in there yeah there was no skeleton there was nothing there was nothing what if they had just been dug and what if what if they weren't graves that were dug up they were graves that hadn't been filled yet the only thing I could think of is maybe like your your whole like if there was a sickness within the, the tribe or like they knew what was coming, but then decided mm-hmm. against that. Maybe I don't, I'm not really, or they decided to go somewhere else. I'm not really sure, but that's like, yeah. they would have had to essentially given up on everything. I feel like if they ended up leaving all their food and guns and anything to defend themselves and their dogs to get around. And what I feel like they would have been, because people that live that kind of lifestyle are very respectful of nature mm-hmm. and the animals of nature. Work brain. My brain's like half snot, half brain. <laughs> I know. I feel it. <laughs> I feel it. So people that live that kind of lifestyle, they respect nature, they respect animals. So I don't see them leaving the dogs chained and just leaving. I imagine if they were going to just, let's say, walk off into nature and make their peace... I imagine they would cut the dogs free so they would have a chance at making it. Yeah. But And it said that they were still like in that at that in that day and age, the Inuit tribe at least on average would have been still semi nomadic, so they would have still been pretty self um self providing and self Well yeah, and they were doing good. Yeah. They had like, everything they needed. They had you know, they had food, they had fish, they had shelter, like they were protection. And then they disappeared. And I, I what, honestly, what, I don't, that's, this one's so hard to guess at. Like, I feel like when you start putting pieces together of it, different aspects, the, the elements that of, of the, of the situation, the, the, the dogs, the material that they left behind, the, the, the no signs of any kind of scuffle, mm-hmm. no, no, no emergency, it wasn't like things were just dropped on the floor, you know, things like when, when emergencies happen you and you got to get up and go, no signs of that. I feel like that's when you do have to kind of go for the little more outlandish explanations because none of the reasonable ones are fitting. Well, yeah, and it's either that or I feel like the only other like most realistic thing is, is maybe something in someone's timeline was not correct. Like that either... The bell exaggerated the fire, or, or the or the news news. The reporter, journalist at the time did, or that the Mounties exaggerated how much snow was on top of the dogs, or. But I feel like even without all of that, just with everything how it laid, let's say fire was ice cold. Let's yeah. say let's say the dogs were on top of the snow. Mm-hmm. 
just because of how the layout was of the camp, how it wasn't disheveled. Still, where did they go? Yeah. 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 It's still, they're still unexplainable. Which is what we love. Yeah. <laughs> it's, oh, it's very sad for the people. If you are of that, it is of that tribe. We apologize, but seriously, we do love these kinds of stories. That's the, that's what the show's all about. I can't think of many things that are much more campfire-ish than this one. Than a, yeah, than a dis- disappearing camp. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Well, so they, you'll need the, the last bit that I have was that um, it, it, it touched on it very lightly, but it was like they had no specifics. But apparently there have been other reports and stuff like that, but they were outlandishly exaggerated. Like, They've had the numbers of people that disappeared from anywhere from 30 up to like 2,000. Oh, that, yeah, that's a big jump. Right? And 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 stuff like that. Like that um, more stuff was missing, that, um, that the fire was like fully going. Like there's been a bunch of different... So it's, it makes it really hard to say for sure what what was the correct report. Right. So that's why, that's why I went for this one was because like it seemed... At least it started with that most initial Joe LaBelle first, uh, what do they call that, um, eyewitness kind of thing, yeah. report, account. So. Interesting. Other than that, that's... Uh, what, do you, what do you think happened to him? I have no idea. It's it, so it's hard tough. to, like, because I don't think it was an attack. Otherwise, there would have been, I feel like, signs of a struggle or blood on some snow somewhere. Although I guess that depending on the snowfall, that could have covered that up pretty quickly. But I don't feel like it was an attack. They had guns. I don't think it was a UFO abduction. That's just that just feels like a cop out for me. I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, do you have like a conclusive? I wouldn't say conclusive. But one that one that makes a lot of sense makes sense to you besides a potential rip in the in the that's really like the best thing i can come up with and like it's kind of fun but it also kind of fits like the universe just broke right there for yeah. some reason they like walk off into a rift and some like sort. they fell into universe 12c or something yeah and well, the remnants there. of the unit of like the little like whatever tear break whatever like that's why you have weird things like the perpetually burning fire mm-hmm. and the the strange snowfall and the the graves and somehow lights kind of and then the lights I didn't even add that in there that you know Blinking I mean I imagine if there's a space time rip that uh there'd be a little bit of light action involved things in that. Would, things would look pretty weird yeah that's that's all I got. I don't know, but it's fun this to talk one, this about. One, I, this one stems me probably more than anyone that we've done so far, as far as like a conclusive answer or uh, or solution. But you know what? I'd love to know what. I'd love to know what you guys think. Me if too. You, if you guys have any uh, any things you're thinking about with it, if you have any facts about the case that we didn't mention, um, hit us up creepy campfire podcast at gmail.com that's the best way to get a hold of uh of me and jordan right now yes um let us know like what 
what you think of Lake Anjikuni, if you've been there, if you live in the area, mm-hmm. if you've heard any strange stories about it yourself. Tell me if Manitoba's close. Yeah. And also just use that to, to contact us in general. Tell us how you feel about the show. Uh, if you have anything you want to hear us talk about, any episode ideas, uh, just shoot them our way. We really appreciate it. And even if you just want to say hi, we love it. Uh, we love all the feedback we can get from you guys. We really appreciate it. All the feedback. Don't forget, speaking of feedback, to light, 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 like, rate, and subscribe to the show. Uh, use use that word of mouth. Tell your friends about the show. Keep it spreading. But you you liking and rating the show is really how, uh, how it pops up on everybody's suggested list and what you may like and things like that. It's how it spreads the show and spread the word and, well, and keep now, us growing. And now you can reach us on more platforms, right? You can do, we, we recently hit Spotify. That was the most recent. Oh, we're pretty much just about everywhere that you can, you can hear a podcast. I think the only thing Spotify, we're not iTunes. on right now is iHeartRadio. Oh, okay. And you know, yeah, we're Spotify, iTunes, Apple podcast. Uh, we're Stitcher, Google play, um, whichever one, our home site of Podbean. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Podbean. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, you you we're pretty much just about everywhere you can listen to a podcast now. Yeah. So wherever you see us, like us, rate us, comment, yeah. feedback. Next week I've got a I've got a fun one for you. We're we're oh, yeah. we're diving back into conspiracies. What you got? I've got the the Denver Airport. Okay. What? Well, oh, I don't yeah. even I don't think I've heard of uh, of one the Denver Airport. The Denver Airport. It's uh, it it it's just very strange. And it's cool. I'm about halfway into my, my research right now, and I've I've seen like a couple couple videos and listened to a podcast or two on on the Denver airport airport before. Okay. Um, but it's really interesting. Even the things you find on the airport website, mm-hmm. like just doing some simple Google searches, you run into some strange stuff. Okay. Um, so I've got a some strange occurrences and uh... yeah. So we're going back into the conspiracy circle, which I don't think we've done since. Billy Shears, yeah, with uh, with Paul McCartney, Paul McCartney supposedly dying. Yes, so we're 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 dipping dipping our toes back into that Lonely water. Only Billy Shears. Um, I am stoked. I love conspiracy theories. So. Yeah, yeah, me too. I, I mean, can't wait to hear it. I try not to talk about them all the time because then you become that guy. Yep, but <laughs> that's what this outlet's for. <laughs> but you need a good conspiracy theory every now and then. So we're going to give that to you guys next week. Um. And then we're just going to keep rolling with it from there. So until next time, everybody, stay stay toasty. toasty.